0: Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, the passage that Dan just read for us. While you're turning there, we have um, missionaries in northern Africa. Um, We keep it general like that because uh, they're missionaries that come out of our church, John and Becca. Um, We keep it general like that because I'm on the internet right now and they're in a, a dangerous location. Uh, but I'm happy to report that uh, John and Becca last night uh, was blessed by God with a daughter. Uh, and her name is Ruby Janice, and she was born safe and sound and everything and like that. Uh, poor girl's going to have to write uh, place of birth, you know, a very long name. But, uh, but we're just excited that she's being there. So uh, let's continue to pray for them as well, uh, that God will just be with them and bless them. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we just come to you now and just ask that you would please help us. I know that we are about to enter into a passage which in many ways is so solemn, so holy, so glorious that we desperately need the power of your Holy Spirit to help us in our thinking, in our meditating, to help us to enter into the reality of this passage and our Savior and what he has done for us, Father, what your Son suffered for us, your great love for us. Please help us, we pray. Help us not to just become over-familiar with texts like this. Help us, we pray, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would just Bless us with the great blessing that this night presented when it happened in history all those years ago. And help us to see our Savior in fresh ways through this and to love him more deeply and be committed to him more deeply. Help us now, we pray. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray this. Amen. When I sat down to do my exegesis this uh, this week, um, I had to juggle some things around. You'll notice that we actually are skipping verses 26 through 30. We're going to take them up next week because next week we're going to be celebrating the Lord's table. And I thought, we'll take them up next week. So I knew that was going to happen. So then when I got to, okay, so where are we at now in Matthew? And I saw that it was Gethsemane. I have to tell you that at that moment at my desk, I felt completely Overwhelmed and undone. I was just like, "Oh," and it, it's because this text, this Gethsemane, it—it's it, over. It, I felt overwhelmed. I felt that I will be utterly, utterly inadequate, and I will fail. I haven't even—I haven't even started exegesis yet, and I've already—I already know I'm going to fail. I felt totally unworthy to enter into this holy place. I felt inadequate because I feel like. Um, it's, it's so hard to even come close to understanding the glory of what happened at the night of Gethsemane. Um, I believe that this passage of Scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to us to give us a glimpse of Jesus in all of his humanity, in all of his deity, in all of his faith, in all of his obedience, and it is compressed in all of his compassion, in all of his patience. It's compressed in this one beautiful passage. If you've ever gone to a place, like sometimes you, you go to uh, a, a historical place. We Jan and I went to the uh, pa- uh, temple at Vers- uh, the I'm sorry, the palace at Versailles in, 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 in France, and, and some of those rooms are just filled with gold and, and, and beautiful things that, that where the king of France lived, and you're only a- able to, to enter into that the doorway in a small little, there's just a small little loop there, and you can walk in and you can partake of the glory. You can't touch anything. You can't see. You can just barely. And sometimes the rooms are so big you can barely see. But that's all you're allowed in. And I feel like in this text, we, we just almost just step into this royal hall of glory and, and, and are easily lost in wonder and amazement. And so let's just, that's why I prayed. Let's really, let's focus and concentrate and, and, and enter into this, this amazing text and what happened uh, in those hours, Jesus is just an hour away from the complete and utter loss of all of his civil freedom. He's about to be arrested. And then uh, from this point on, he submits himself to everything that's going to take place at the hands of thugs with clubs and, and Pilate and the, the Sanhedrin and the Romans and such. It's all about to, uh, to, to begin to unfold. And so this is a sacred moment. They've just had uh, the Lord's table, they've just had the Passover meal, and they've sung a hymn, and they've headed out, in verse 30, to the Mount of Olives. And then it says this in verse 31, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. Now, uh, this, again, one of the things that I've I, I tried to highlight uh, as we've gotten into this is Jesus knows he's dying. He knows he's going to die a very terrible death. And yet the, the sense of which Jesus has this incredible strength, this incredible composure, this incredible uh, uh, Patience and love and selfless concern for his disciples. And you see that right here in this little section. Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's about to come. And in that sense, he tells them they're all going to fall away, they're all going to stumble. The word here, scandalizo. it means to, and we, we get our word scandal or scandalized, but the word actually meant a, like a tripwire or or, or or a, a way of, of, of capturing game, a snare, and then it took on the meaning to stumble or to fall away from, to trip over, and Jesus says, tonight you will all be made to stumble away from me this night. And yet Jesus sees all that's being unfolded there as the fulfillment of scripture. This is the fulfillment of all of the thousands of years that God has prepared in providing and, and prophesying and, and preparing us for Messiah. It's all about to come to fulfillment. This stuff isn't just happening by accident, Jesus is saying. The sovereign God is working out his plan. That's what's going to happen tonight, even though it's going to get real chaotic from here and it's going to be real strange. That's what's happening. And so he quotes from Zechariah thirteen seven: I will strike the shepherd... And the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But then an amazing thing, Jesus says this. He says, by the way, that's going to happen. But look at verse 32. But he says, after that, after I have been raised, I will go before you in Galilee. Jesus is assuming the resurrection. He knows that he's going to be raised. He's already told them that he's going to be raised. And he says, let's meet up together again in Galilee. That would be like you know, Galilee was the rural area of, 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 of Israel. It was, it was up north. It would be like, let's, you know, let's meet in Greenville. Let's meet in Shakelyville or whatever. That, let's meet where we used to meet. So Jesus is trying to encourage them, but they're not there yet. And in verse 33, Peter replies with a little bit of pride. A little bit of pride here. I know I'm better than all these other guys. Even if all of them are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Don't worry, Lord. You can rely upon me. There's a little bit of pride there, obviously. He's comparing. But also, I hope that you give him some grace here, okay? There's a lot of passion here for Christ. There's a lot of commitment to Christ. There's a lot of love for his Savior. I'm No, I'm all in. I'm there. Now... And I also hope that you can, I know I certainly can look at Peter's life and say, man, that's me. Okay, I'm real brave when there's no guards around. I'm, I'm real brave, you know, in, in the quiet, that's me, that's me, that's, that, that would be me there. Uh, and Jesus then says, no, Peter, no. You're not. In fact, you, and it's like he points him out. You know, you've, you've just put yourself above your brethren here. I'm going to tell you, you are going to do something unique. You are going to deny me three times. You are. And, and Peter says, no, no way. In fact, I, even, he says, I will die. I would, I would die before I deny you. And again, I believe that Peter truly, that's where his heart's at. His, his, the, his, he will be weak and he will deny him. But that's where his heart's at. And, and that's commendable in that sense. And notice all the other disciples agreed. Look at the end of verse 35. They all agreed. And you know what I think is really cool at this point? Jesus lets them have the last word. It's wrong. It's wrong. But Jesus gave them, yep, okay, guys. Okay, that's where you're at. And you know why, in one sense, Jesus did that, I think? is because it wasn't their time to die. In one sense, Jesus needs them to take off and run. And they do. They they take off and run. Look at the end of verse 56. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. It's every man for himself. Well, not every man for himself, is it? Because Jesus is there dying for all of them. But for them, it's every man for himself. But Jesus, in a sense, they needed to do that. You know why? Why? Because these were the men that were going to be the eyewitnesses. These were the men who were going to be the foundation of the church. These were the men who were going to be the apostles. And by the way, all of these men but one, John, all of these men will die violent deaths for Jesus. They eventually will. But that's not time yet. And I think that's how Jesus sort of gave them the last word in that. And then in verse 36 it says this. They head to Gethsemane. It says, Then Jesus came to them, Uh, came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Now, let me just give you some background here. Gethsemane is a place where the Bible tells us that Jesus actually went often with his disciples. Uh, Luke says in his gospel, as was his custom. All right. In fact, Jesus uh, intentionally goes to Gethsemane, kind of like if you could say the place where they hung out often to fellowship and for prayer Jesus chose a place where Judas would know where he was. Judas would find no problem finding him. And at this point, Judas is out, gathering together a posse of thugs. Judas is out, getting the men that that, uh, the Sanhedrin who assigned to go and arrest Jesus. Judas is gone. Judas is is doing his job. And Judas is coming back. And the clock is now ticking for when Jesus' whole atonement, the death... Crucifixion, everything, the whole clock is ticking. And so, under that pressure, Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells the majority of the disciples to sit here, and then he takes three of his closest friends. Look at verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And then notice this. So, he takes them, those four, Peter, James, John, and Jesus, start walking away from the group, a little bit of distance away from them, and all of a sudden, the Bible says, Jesus began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Sorrowful and deeply distressed. The word here, sorrowful, is, is the, it, it's the word... I'm going to give you just some, lexic, uh, some dictionary definitions from the Greek lexicon just to help you to get a feel for these words. It comes from the word lupe, which means... Pain of body or mind, grief, sorrow, or mourning. Now, this is the verbal form, lupeo, which means this to experience deep emotional pain, severe sorrow, grief, agony. That's the first word that's being used here. So it says, that when the Bible says this, it says, Jesus began to feel this extreme, deep emotional pain and agony. This is the humanity of Jesus showing itself, okay? The next word that's used there uh, in verse uh, 37 is deeply distressed. It means this, to be the subject of intense inner agitation, to be in anxiety, to be in distress, to be troubled, And and certainly, there's all kinds of things that are going on in Jesus. And at this point, it's it's interesting. Jesus, to this point, has shown an amazing amount of self-control, self-restraint, self-mastery over all of his emotions. Jesus is exercising self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus, up to this point, has been dealing with the fear of death. He's been dealing with anxiety. He's been dealing with uh, the pain and suffering that's going to come. He's been dealing with all of that, but he's been in in control. Make, make, make the Passover. Do it here. Go to this man. Let's sit. Sit. This is my body. This is my blood. Uh, one of you will betray me. Here, it's the one I give. He's in complete control. And in fact, in the book of John, this stuff begins, uh, the, the, the Passover and the triumphal entry begins in chapter 11 and 12 in the book of John. And John is like 21 uh, chapters. And so half of the book of John is all of the, Jesus, all the teaching that Jesus gave during this fi- the final week of his life. And so we've seen this amazing amount of self-control, self-mastery with this, this threat of death hanging over him, the reality of death hanging over him. Now Jesus gets alone with it coming. It's starting in an hour from now. Jesus gets alone with his two, his three best friends, and he begins to he begins to let down. He begins. There's there's this surge. Of emotion and feelings. Kind of like when you when you get to your uh, you, you go through a trial or, or, or something and then you, you get home, or you have this this difficult phone call, and then you hang it up, and then all of a sudden you're alone, you're in your house, or you're with just your loved ones, and, and this feeling of emotion comes through. There's sort of this letdown, and Jesus feels this surge of powerful human emotion, sorrow and distress and anxiety and fear and all of this coming upon him. And notice what he says in verse 38. Then Jesus said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. So he took that word lupeo in in verse 37, and now it's actually amplified in the text. I am exceedingly sorrowful even to death. How do we say that today? These emotions are so strong, it's killing me. This is killing me. I could die from just the weight of these emotions that I'm feeling right now. And then he says, stay here and watch with me. But Jesus doesn't want to have group prayer at this point. He doesn't. There's a place for group prayer. Jesus commands us to group prayer. But Jesus needs to get alone at this point. He needs to be alone with his father. And there's times that we need to just get alone with God. We need to get alone and we need to shut that door and we need to get on our faces and we need to heart dealings with God and we can't have anybody around or any interruptions. And that's where Jesus is at this point. And yet, nevertheless, he's very human, isn't he? Jesus is fully God, but he's fully human. And don't we even at that moment want to know want to know that our loved ones, our friends, our companions are here. Jesus didn't leave all the disciples all the way there and go all the way deep into the garden of Gethsemane. He says, Peter, James, and John, would you please come with me? And then he, un- he, 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 he sort of lets down. He shares his grief with them, and he asks them in a special way, you guys stay here. I'm going to go over here to pray. But he, and he wants to be alone with his father, but he wants to know they're right there. He wants to know they're right there. He doesn't want to be alone at this moment, but he wants to be alone at this moment. And so he then goes, he's exceedingly sorrowful, and notice what he does. Verse 39, he went a little further and fell on his face. He fell on his face. He's laying prostrate. He can't even stand anymore. He's so undone, and he falls on his face. This surge of human emotion has come in him and he is, it is crying out in him and he's fallen on his face. What is he feeling? He's feeling self preservation. He's, he's been created in the image of God. In, in, his, in his humanity, we are created in the image of God. We are in the image bearers. Now, Jesus is God. He wasn't created in the image of God. He is God. But we are created in the image of God. And one of the things that image bearers of God have is self preservation. That's why we don't want to die. That's why we, we dodge when when, when 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 you know something comes flying at us. If somebody's shooting, we fall to the ground. We, get, you know, there's, we, we, don't, want, we don't want to die. We, we've been made to live. Jesus is God. He's life itself. And now he has taken on humanity and he's facing death and this surge of self-preservation, this surge of what he is about to face. And so now he comes and he's crying out to his father. The gospel writers tell us that, the other gospel writers say, he's crying out, Abba, father. And there's such an intense emotion. There's this, this intense crying out. There's these intense feelings that are going on that that, that one of the gospel writer Luke talks about sweating as if drops of blood. And and commentators don't know what that means. Does that mean that he was sweating so profusely it looked like he was bleeding? Or was it actually the condition that comes from intense emotional pressure that can actually cause the capillaries of blood to break open and the the blood comes out sweaty blood, bloody sweat. It's, it's, It's that amount of pressure. But Jesus is feeling this intense emotional pressure and he needs to speak to his father. And he cries out. Notice what he says oh my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me now let's stop right there oh my father I think if we read too fast we we miss what's going on here oh my father I've come here for one reason in one in, in one sense at least an important reason half a reason but here it is please if possible let this cup pass from me let this cup Now here, let me pause and say this. You're looking at lying on that ground, crying out, sweating bloody sweat, agonizing, wrestling with all of his sorrow, emotion, anxiety, fear of death, wrestling with all of that, crying out to God the Father. You are looking at your great high priest. Let me say it this way. Jesus can fully relate to you. Gethsemane alone teaches us Jesus can fully relate to you as your great high priest. Are you ever afraid? Jesus can relate to fear. Are you ever anxious? Jesus can relate to your anxiety. Are you ever stunned by grief? Jesus has been that. Crushed by terrible news? Jesus is being crushed right now in this text. What if you're told you're terribly sick? And you will have a lifelong ailment. Jesus can enter into that emotion. Look what he's being told here. What if you're told you're going to live a life of pain? What if you're told you have a terminal disease? And at that emotional undoneness that you feel at that point, there's one person that you can go to that will totally relate to you. And that's Jesus. He was told in this passage, you're going to die. He was full of vibrant life. He was 33 years old here. He's full of life. You're going to die. You're going to die within 24 hours. Or what's worse, told that one of your loved ones is sick. The grief and anguish that told one of your loved ones is going to die. Or one of your loved ones does die. Jesus can relate to it because of Gethsemane. Have you ever been shamefully treated by someone? If you ever been betrayed, Jesus knows exactly what you feel. He can relate to you 100%. Have you ever been ripped off, suffered loss or in whatever. Your high priest you can go to and he will understand. So it's appropriate that we remind ourselves of this in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, where it teaches this. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted." Or Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. The Bible says we can go and find from him mercy, mercy, and grace to help. Jesus can fully relate to you. But you will never be able to fully relate to Jesus. Because you will never drink the cup that he drank for you. You will never be able to fully relate to Jesus. Judas is on his way. He's going to be apprehended and bound. His disciples are all going to run away from him, and he's going to be absolutely alone. He's going to be rejected by the Jews. The Sanhedrin is going to lie about him, and they're going to convict him. He's going to go before Pilate, and Pilate is going to find him completely innocent, but he's still going to order him to be beaten and crucified. He's going to offer him, Jesus, to the people, of the Jewish people. And the very same people that said, Hosanna, Hosanna, to the son of David a week earlier are now going to say, we want Barabbas, crucify him. We only have one Lord and, and one king, and that's Caesar. He's not our king. He's going to be tied to a post and savagely beaten with all of the humility of having his clothes ripped off of his back and beaten. He's going to be made fun of. He's going to be mocked. A crown of thorns is going to be put on his head to make him a mock king. He's going to have to then carry his cross through the city of Jerusalem while he's being jeered and laughed at and made fun of and humiliated. He's going to be laid down upon that cross, and he's going to be nailed. He's going to have nails put on his hands, and then a hammer's going to go up and drive those nails down through his hand first the right, and then the left. He's going to then be hung up by those nails, and then his feet are going to be gathered together, and a nail is going to be driven through his feet into that wood. He's going to then hang there, hang there for hours as he slowly dies. That's what he's anticipating. He knows what crucifixion is. That's what he's lying there for. He's lying there in the ground for. That's what he's anticipating. But dear friends, many of his followers are going to experience similar things as that as well. Peter, tradition will tell us, and it seems to be a valid historical tradition, is going to be crucified himself, but he's going to ask to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy of his Lord. Many of his followers are going to be beaten. Many of his followers are going to be executed. Many of his followers are going to be tortured and tortured in horrible ways. Many of his followers are going to, but they're still not going to be able to fully relate to Jesus because the next the most important thing that Jesus is dreading this cup that he doesn't want to drink is he is going to have the wrath of the father unleashed upon him the very one that he is calling out to abba father he the cup that he must drink is to have the wrath of the father poured out upon him what does that mean what is wrath what is the wrath of god The wrath of God is God's anger. It's God's anger. So when God is angry, that is an infinite, all-powerful, almighty anger. It is the worst, most powerful force, as it were, in that sense. It is the greatest, most terrifying force that we can even imagine. All the nuclear weapons in the world directed to you is nothing compared to the wrath of of God, his anger, his anger, because this is a just anger. This is a righteous anger. This is a vengeance anger. This is an anger which you are due, you are due, and it is an anger that will make things right. It is an anger that, that is stirred up because of, of, of sin and, and God's hatred and wickedness of sin. Now, I know that I've told you this before, but it's the, only, it's the best illustration I have in my own life. I felt this very powerfully. I went through, Jan and I went to Washington, DC one year, and we went through the Holocaust Museum. And the Holocaust Museum is like nothing you can describe. Okay? The Holocaust Museum is very well done. It's very amazing. It's 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 powerful. But you're gonna see shoes, you're gonna see hair, you're gonna see a, a, a bin of shoes as wide as this room, this deep little kids' shoes that were taken off children before they were gassed. You're going to see videos. You're going to hear. You're going to watch. You're going to see. And it is so powerful that they actually have a chapel set aside afterward for people who are walking out if you want to go. I'm going to move straight down by it. I got done with that thing. And I had such a mixture of emotions. But one of them surprised me more than anything else. And I just said in my heart, I am so glad there's a hell. And I couldn't believe I said that. Because, you know, hell's hell. Like, it's bad. I'm so glad there's a hell. And I'm so glad that Hitler is there. And Goring is there. And Eichmann is there. And Himmler is there. I'm so glad. They deserve. And to be honest with you, if Hitler, Goring, Eichmann, Himmler were all standing right there and they handed me a machine gun, I'd have shot them all and never thought of anything. I would have shot them and I'd have shot their dead bodies laying on there. I'd have shot them. I felt so much just anger and wrath at what these men had done and the suffering that they had brought. Dear friends, that's a little bit of what the wrath of God is. The vengeance and just anger of God against sin and rebellion. And that is what Jesus was going to drink down for us. That is what Jesus was going to experience on the cross. Jesus was going to die on the cross and the father was going to pour out his wrath upon him. Jesus wasn't going to be one man dying on the cross for his sins. Jesus never sinned. But one man dying dying for his sins, that's hell. That's going to hell. You die die for your sins and you go to hell. If you're an unbeliever, you die for your sins and you go to hell. That's one thing. Jesus wasn't going to do that. Jesus was going to die on the cross for the sins of a vast multitude of people that no man can number. A world of sins. Jesus was going to die on the cross for the sins of people who had been dead for thousands of years. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of that. Jesus was going to die for their sins. David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. Jesus was going to die for the sins of the people that were were alive at that point. Jesus was going to die for the sins of people that have never even been thought of. Me and you, 2,000 years from now. All of those sins, all of that anger, all of that wrath, all of that justice was going to be poured out upon him on that cross. And Abba Father was going to turn his back on him. And he was going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's going to be there. And he's going to be alone. And he's going to suffer the torment and the wrath and the justice for all of those sins. No wonder he's on the ground. No wonder he's bleeding, he's sweating blood. No wonder he's begging, Please, if there's any possibility, remove this cup from me. But it even gets worse. The one who's going to punish him is Abba. Who he loved for all of eternity. Who he delighted in in oneness, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Who was his deepest love and who was the deep and beloved one of him. Abba was going to punish him for the sins of his sheep. The shepherd was going to be punished. His father was going to do it. And that's what makes the next phrase amazing. Verse 39 be, nevertheless. Not as I will, but as you will. Abba, who's about to destroy me. I want your will more than mine. I don't want to do this. I don't want to face this. I don't want the pain. I don't want the empty. I don't want the shame. I don't want this. I don't want the wrath. But there's something I want more than those things I don't want. And that's your will to be done. He chooses the Father's will. This is faith and obedience. This is checking your emotions, the most powerful emotions, and saying, no, I'm going to obey him. This is choosing the Father's will before every felt emotion that you feel right now. Safety, life, pain-free escape. No. No. There's something I want more than that. I want to obey my my heavenly Father, and I want to save my sheep. And now with a shepherd's heart, notice what he does. Verse 40. Then Jesus came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said, Peter, what? What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? See, notice he points out Peter, the big guy who was going to be there when nobody else would. He's sleeping. And then he encourages them. Look at verse 40. He admonishes them. He commands them, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Doesn't that sound familiar? That comes right out of the Lord's prayer. Lead us not into temptation. It's interesting the parallels with the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not my will, but your will. Notice this one. Do not enter into temptation. And then he makes an excuse for them. Jesus has just been suffering the torment of Gethsemane, and then he comes, and his friends have let him down. Then he makes an excuse for them. Oh, dear ones, I know your spirit is willing. I know you want to be here with me. I know you want to be a good friend. I know you want to be watching and praying. I know you love me. I know you do. But you're just so weak. Your flesh is so weak. So then a second time he goes away. And notice how Matthew does this. Some of the gospel writers are very general here. He prayed the same thing. But notice what Matthew does. The prayer changes a little bit. There's movement. Oh, my Father. Oh, Abba. If this cup cannot pass for me unless I drink it. Your will be done. He's still praying. He's still asking. And yet there's movement here. And then in verse 43, he comes back and he finds them asleep again. And it says, for their eyes were heavy. And their eyes were heavy. They were tired. They were tired. They had an incredibly busy week. They had entered into Jerusalem a week ago. They had been in Jerusalem. They ate a Passover meal. It's well past midnight. And they saw his sorrow. They saw his pain. These guys are hurting, too. In fact, look, at, listen, look on the screen what Luke wrote at this moment. He said this. Then he arose from prayer and had come to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Look at the last two words. From sorrow. These guys are emotionally exhausted, too. And it's interesting because it looks like in Matthew, he lets them sleep. They need the strength for what's about to come. He intimates that in one of the other gospel writers. Then he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same prayers. He's agonizing. He's on the ground. He's sweating. He's praying. He's agonizing. He's wrestling with his emotions. He's wrestling to be obedient. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. How do we summarize this and apply it to ourselves? Well, once again, one of the ways I like to look at this is just to see Jesus' incredible strength in obedience and faith. What we're actually seeing here is faith. See, Jesus in his humanity also lived by faith. In his humanity, he's fully God, but in the mystery that is the incarnation, fully God and fully man. Jesus also lived by faith. He encouraged us to live by faith. He encouraged us to see the unseen. He, he walked on earth, and he encouraged us to look at the birds and believe God's going to take care of us. Look at the flowers and believe God's going to feed us. He looked. He told us to look at the rain and see the, God, the love of God for both the just and the unjust. He wanted us, he's told us to live by faith. And here he is living by faith while his emotions are churning inside. His faith still stays strong, and he says... Abba, Father, he says, your will, not mine. He's the same one who's going to say, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from Psalm 22. And then in the end, he's going to say, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He died, lived, suffered, and died in faith in his Father. And we can grow. We we need him. We need him. I love what Jairus said, I believe, help my unbelief. He's asking Jesus to help his unbelief. How many times I prayed that to myself? Myself prayed that, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. But notice also Jesus's obedience, and this is something that is called in the Bible, obedience to death, obedience to the point of death. In Philippians chapter two, verse eight, a passage we've looked at so many times because it's so important. It says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus is a model here for us of obedience to God. Obey to the point. of I don't want to go through this experience, but I choose to obey. I choose to obey. I will obey. And disobedience meant death. Well, tonight we're going to be studying the book of Revelation. And I just jump ahead. I'll give you a verse. Listen to this verse. Jesus now is speaking to a church in in Asia. And he says this in Revelation 2.10. Do not fear, Jesus says, any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Notice what Jesus says next. Be faithful unto death be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life dear friends Christians Christians are talking a lot today about we're going to be facing some persecution we're going to be cancelled we're going to be facing persecution we're going to be cancelled and I get that I, I, I know I believe all that but I don't think we should get real concerned about that as much as and I believe that one of the ways we should just kind of, almost in one sense, brush that aside, is by saying this. <laughs> by his grace, I'm not going to be a Peter here. I'm, I'm better than all these people in this room. By his grace, I am prepared to die for him. So I don't care what becomes politically correct. I don't care what canceling culture does. I don't care what laws are passed. I don't care what happens. Nothing is going to stop me from following Jesus, reading my Bible, telling others the good news, worshiping him, living for him, proclaiming his truth. Nothing is going to stop me because I'm prepared to die for him. And dear friends, that's what Jesus is saying. Well, we took it down. But that's what Jesus is saying in Revelation 2.10. We'll see that. But what's interesting is this. Those who are willing to lay down their life for the fathers in obedience to their father. Listen to how Paul says next in Philippians 2.9. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, should bow of those in heaven and of those of earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue, I forgot to put it on here, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Dear ones, by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, resolve in your mind to be obedient to God, even unto death. And if you become obedient, in your mind, convinced that you are obedient even unto death by Jesus' spirit living in you, by Jesus' grace, not your own strength, not your own courage, then all the other minor little obediences that we need to be doing in our lives, like being consistent in our devotions, guarding our tongue, guarding our eyes, living holy lives, being, all of those other obediences should fall into place because of your willingness to do the ultimate obedience. Finally, by way of application, let me say this. Never, never doubt, never doubt your Savior's love. And if you do, go back to Gethsemane and see there his selflessness. See there his patience. See there his long suffering. See there his anguish. See there his suffering, his grief. He doesn't want to go through this, nevertheless, Father, it's your will. It's the only way they can be saved. My sheep must be saved. I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Nevertheless, greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ went through Gethsemane for you. Jesus Christ said yes in Gethsemane for you. And that should just wed your heart to him in such a way. What a wonderful Savior. I say yes to him. I say yes to him. Is there any here that this stuff has left you strangely cold? Are you so careless about your soul? Is there any unbelievers here? You're so careless about your soul. You're strangely cold to these things. When's the sermon going to be over, you're thinking? Does this mean anything to you? Please, I beg of you, wake up. Wake up. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came to save sinners. Do you truly not need to be saved? You careless sinner who's here, do you truly not need to be saved? You distracted sinner here. Do you care? You, do you, this the stuff that you're into. Is it really of eternal significance? Your Facebook page having fun, your sports team, getting money, your little career, is that really of eternal significance that you're willing to lose your soul over it because it becomes the sole preoccupation of your life? What's going to happen to you when you die? What's going to happen to you? Where will you go? Do you truly think that you're going to die and you're going to stand before a holy God who showed this much hatred for sin that this is what his son had to go through? And you're going to say, hey, God, I think my good outweighed my bad. I think I'm a pretty good dude. I think you should let me into heaven. Do you think God's going to forget Gethsemane? Do you think God's going to forget the cross? Do you think God's going to forget his son's blood? And here you are standing here saying you're good enough to get to heaven and you don't need Gethsemane, you don't need the cross, you don't need the blood, you don't need his son, you can do it on your own. Do you think God's going to accept that? Or is his wrath at your arrogance and your self-centeredness and your denial of him by your whole life Then you're gonna stand naked and alone with no one to save you. Dear friend, I'm a sinner as much as you are. But when I stand before God and He says, Why should I let you into heaven? This miserable wretch of a sinner named Todd Johnson is gonna say, Because of Him. <laughs> because you said your son, who is at your right hand, Because of him, he is my only hope. He is my all my hope. He is my righteousness. He is my high priest. He is my savior. He is my friend. He came to save sinners. He said that every wicked sinner like me who believed in him would have everlasting life. You send him. I, my only hope is him. He is all my hope. My greatest love, it's him. Dear ones, that's the way of salvation. Jesus is salvation. Come to him. Come fleeing to him. Come to him and pray to him and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Save me. I'm so distracted. I'm so arrogant. I'm so empty. I'm so needy. Save me. And the one who sweat blood on the dirt floor of Gethsemane, because of his love for sinners, will embrace you. May you be saved by grace (laughs) through this wonderful Savior. What a privilege to even preach his name. Let's pray together. Father, we sense that your Holy Spirit has ushered us into the holy ground of Gethsemane. We stand in awe. We stand in awe of our Savior. We stand in awe of your plan of redemption. We stand in awe of his selfless love. We stand in awe that you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. We stand in awe that we have been drawn to Jesus by your effectual call and powerful grace. We stand in awe that we're sitting here today as Christians, forgiven. We stand in awe that our hard hearts were made soft and that we love your son. Oh, Father, help us to trust you. Why should we ever have another worry? Why should we ever have another fear? Why should we ever have another moment of anxiety? The God of the universe sent his dear son, and we have been saved by this wonderful Savior. How will you not, along with him, freely give us all things? If you are for us, who could be against us? We praise you. We thank you. Oh, Father, if there's a lost one here today, a distracted, lost one who loves Facebook more than you, who loves fun more than you, who's strangely, strangely cold to these things, oh, please have mercy upon them before it's too late. Save them. Give them grace. Help them, I pray. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.